from the dead the podcast and john (laughs) from the brink i I should say yeah that was pretty bad that was that was a record you were i I haven't seen you in what two weeks a week and a half yeah you weren't in last week at all yeah a week and a half did not did i came in to record the week prior right well that yeah that was two weeks ago yeah didn't record last week, but we recorded the week before, so that was a week and a half ago. We recorded two weeks ago. Today. Oh, I see what you're saying. <laughs> anyway, time you're better. an illusion. Right. You're healed. Yeah, I, I healed just in time for my allergies to start, though. Today, yeah, it's yeah. been... Tis the season, senor. I'm on everything, and every time my head hurts, um, my nasals, things swollen. Your nasal thing. My nasal thing. <laughs> <laughs> thing that houses my nasal sinuses my lightweight container is swollen yeah. <laughs> it's not so lightweight anymore is it <laughs> it's a heavy container yeah. now it's a uh it's a super pod <laughs> <laughs> well a lot of stuff has happened but you always say that stuff ha- oh, a lot of I stuff but i'm gonna uh, listen this is this is your show number one because you've, you've been sick and uh you assume i have tons to talk about because i've been out no, it's just that for you know you, for the past few episodes, I think I've been you accused me of dominating topics, and you're probably right. So I'm gonna you just get excited about your cacao. I know <laughs> uh, that I cannot deny. <laughs> and we have neighbors now, so you can't. You have to be a little you more know quieter. What? I don't care about those neighbors. <laughs> actually, our new neighbors. God, don't even get me started. I won't. Because you won't be PC about it. No, I won't. It will be very not PC. <laughs> oh, we want some common courtesy. Like uh, well, not talking that's... on your phones in the hallway. Oh, wow. Holy crap, I can play that on my keyboard? <laughs> what are you doing? Can you hear that? You have a keyboard on your keyboard? And I'm using my mouse. Yeah, that keyboard was still open. I tried to hit close the tab, and instead of closing the tab, it starts playing keys. <clears throat> uh, okay, well, what are we starting with? I thought you were going to write us a song here, or play us no. a song. <laughs> Sorry, that'll have to wait. Well, I guess I, I won't. Um, I won't bust your balls on it since you've been sick, but... Oh, do, you have, do you have any update? Yeah, no. Figure out. No. Yeah. <laughs> I got sick. Oh, yeah, right? I got a, sick that weekend. No. That was a yeah, no. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, I got sick and I haven't even had a chance to even think about it. I've been playing catch up with everything. Are we still on track for June? Still seems like a long time away, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> I hope so. I really, 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 really. How many times? I mean, what time's going to say that? Um, I really do want to get something out. I mean, even, even just on my computer running that I can kind of use and take it from there. Right. So I, I still feel, I still feel myself kind of slipping back into design, um, not design, um, messing with the architecture and thinking too much about how I want to build it long term. Mm, paralysis. Of, yeah. I, I feel, I feel architecture myself, paralysis. All, I, while I was out, I had nothing to do but to kind of sit and read. So I did a lot of reading and that's kind of dangerous when you're building something, I think. You just need to get your MVP out there, John, and everything else will work out just fine. I know. I hope so. That was slight sarcasm. That was sarcasm? Are you not encouraging me? No, I mean, I'm encouraging you. I'm just, I was, I love it how we always take things to the extremes. You remember, 
you know, back in the day, it was volumes of documentation, and unfortunately, for many organizations, it still is. And and then we've then we had we had agile, but that swung completely to you know M- MVP, which is actually actually a great concept in the whole lean or uh, lean startup idea. But then, but as with agile, people they take it to an extreme where they don't really understand it very well, and they just think mm-hmm. that you just code up some piece of crap and just throw it out there. And unfortunately, I mean that can. <laughs> If you don't know what you're doing or if, or if it's if you take it to an extreme, you can just really embarrass yourself and create put a bad taste in everyone's mouth it's like if, it, if it's not truly a minimum viable i mean that people i think forget the word viable like it has to be viable yeah it's not m p <laughs> it's m v p <laughs> viable uh root word being probably vitality or something you know it's got to be it's got to have life it's got to be something that can live yeah, I agree. Yeah, so, I mean, I'll, I'll still work on it. I'll try and get some more progress done this weekend, but I'm not too hopeful that I will get much progress done this month because I'm still playing catch-up on yeah. things. No, you're going to be catching up for two months. When- not really. I, I've got it. I got my schedule pretty much well handled and laid out. It's it's just a lot of little stuff, and I wasn't going to be that busy this month anyway, so now I'm really busy because a not-busy month compressed down to two weeks is pretty busy. Mm. So Yeah. Thank well, you for asking. Yeah. So what's on your mind this uh for this episode? Uh there's a couple of news items, some of it from yesterday. Um, but one of the things I wanted to talk about was uh get your take on Dropbox. I don't know if you heard about this, but they've actually been building their own cloud infrastructure. So they they traditionally have been hosted on AWS. So all their code and files and everything that you do was was hosted on an AWS server or in the AWS cloud. And um, they've, I, I, you know, it's kind of complicated because they have a really big evaluation right now. I think their valuation is about $10 billion. And um, so they're taking some of that money and resources they've been getting from that um, and building out their own cloud so, so they can kind of be more self-contained, more autonomous, I guess. And yeah. So a lot of people are kind of debating, you know, is, is that a good thing? For them to make this type of transition, is it too risky? Should they just stay where they're at and try to try to try to make more progress in their business model, especially when it comes to reaching into the business sector, which is what what they're trying to do to try to help monetize? Yeah, yeah, they've actually been in business. I think it seems always seems like they've lagged behind Box, which always targeted business. But that was yeah, because they they had different models. Right. Dropbox started out as, as marketing to consumers, and Box started out marketing to companies and businesses. So right. Dropbox stayed simple, easy mm-hmm. to install, and very simple to use, and everything. And whereas Box like had just all kinds of features, yeah. tons of features, and 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 business oriented features, probably around like authentication and I'm just guessing, but different pro you know, levels of access and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right, so it's interesting because we talked about Netflix moving entirely onto AWS. So they, they had their own infrastructure and now they're moving, they move that over. And then we have companies like Dropbox who are betting the other way, the other direction and saying, you know, we're going to do our own thing. So I, I did not read up on this. Um, so without knowing any facts, all I can do is speculate. Um, but, you know, when you get, so think about cloud computing, right? I mean, the whole, the main benefit of it is not necessarily that it's the cheapest, that it's cheaper, or even the cheapest thing. It's right. it's probably not. Uh, it just it depends, right? Um, if you need, oh God, you got to 
you need to get your if you need um, very consistent level, um, you know, of, of computing that does that you don't have spikes and everything else, it it may be better to run your own data center or to just pre um, like contract with Rackspace or someone for you know, hundred servers of some mm-hmm. capacity. But if your business isn't quite as predictable, or if it's very cyclical throughout the day or weeks or seasonal or what whatever. It may make more sense to to not commit to that and to go with a you know more of a cloud type model where you know that's you've got scalability built in and you can you can deprovision and provision mm-hmm. things automat essentially automatically and only pay for what you're using at the, at any given point in time. And, and there's it, that. I mean the the technology stack aside and having the 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 engineering or the know-how to kind of do and build that and manage that is one thing. But the other side of it is, you know, as, as a company like Dropbox, do you think kind of what they're paying Amazon versus what they would pay their own engineering would is, is a wash or do you think they're actually increasing their costs? And that, that's what I can only speculate on. I didn't even see the reasoning. And if you read about it, I mean, you know, fill us in, but um, maybe that's what the, either, either it wasn't working for them for some reason, just they wanted more control over the underlying stack and just the, the way that uh, who knows what the where you know things were physically located or just how things worked and they they just have reached some scale where it actually makes sense to do to do that in-house because they need that level of control mm-hmm. and or it could be just cost like once also once you hit a certain scale it might make sense to do it yourself so what did you what did you read about it i mean what do we what do you know uh well it's, i'm struggling to remember every piece of the article um, because it kind of it was more exploring the idea of whether or not it was a good thing for them whether or not it made sense you know what 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 are the factors that went into that decision was it increased competition from from amazon and yeah and that's a great question is i feel like i've read that amazon has has played with some of these basically consumer apps that that um are consumerish apps Mm -hmm. i mean is amazon going to get into the business of 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 apps, just like Salesforce has gotten in the business of 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 creating apps that directly compete with some of its best uh, partners. Well, I mean, considering that Google and Microsoft are are probably the competitors in that space, and and well, I, I'm not well, Google. Sure, I'm not, is, Google is right. They they have um, Drive, which is a syncing thing, yeah. right? So and it's and Office has Office 365, and then of course they've got their cloud service technology as well that's competing with Amazon. So it, it doesn't seem too far-fetched that Amazon pretty soon would, would be doing that, um, whether or not that creates some kind of conflict for Dropbox. or But I don't really think that's it. I think more so they they wanted to grow their technology, and they, want, they have a very specific vision for their technology that I think they want to own from the ground up. Yeah. Because I, I certainly think that it's actually going to cost them more in the long run because now they're managing and, and maintaining these servers, these systems, plus all the people and resources to to manage that. Right. And thank you for distinguishing between people and resources. Appreciate that. <laughs> and I, Yeah, I was intentionally trying to do right. that because, I mean, there's people, but there's also the resources of um, the, the cost of running it, the maintenance, um, you know, power, electricity, cooling. And then the actual servers themselves and, and, you know, switching out broken hardware and all that kind of stuff and keeping those things up and running. 
And then there's the other side of it, which is people that are developing the technology stack that sits on top of all that. Yeah. And if you think about it, I mean, services like AWS, they're, they're products. I mean, it's, they've created this portfolio of products mm-hmm. that, are, that are designed to be mass market, S3 storage or Glacier storage and certain, you know, RDS and database products and front-end products and, you know, all the, you know, various, you know, kind of various, uh, not stages, what are they called? Like stratifications of, of compute products. But if you need something more specific than that, or if you're just at such scale that having those things that are designed for the scale you're at or the task that you're doing may make more sense than just using like S3, which is a super general purpose storage mechanism. Yeah. I think that's part of it. I think they really wanted to make sure that the technology in the hardware was really optimized to where they needed. I mean, you can do a lot with software, but a lot of times you really need to get down to the hardware um, to start improving performance, especially with a soft, with a tool like this, that's really, you know, taking all your information, all your data and storing it on disk and indexing it and cataloging it and all that kind of stuff. So I think what, what's also interesting is the fact that I think, I think I read, I don't know exactly where in this article, it'll, I'll post it though so everyone can read it, but I think it said that they're 80 to 90% complete with their transition off of Amazon, which I think is interesting because uh, we talk about this all the time. I'm of the fact that people don't really do this, but I'm starting to see more people actually do this, which is they write their software and they host it on, say, Amazon, and they move it. They take all that knowledge and infrastructure and they move it, and it's almost seamless. Like, I didn't, I didn't notice my Dropbox is now somewhere else. Well... I mean, they, they prob- it's probably well-built software, and it's probably built in a way that it's, you know, they're, they're abstracted and not... Again, it's the thing with coupling. Like, yeah. you always want to understand... You, you have to have coupling at various you know, levels of your stack, but understanding your coupling and minimizing it to a point that makes sense so that when you do need to switch some, some part of the stack, you, you can do... It's, number one, it's a possible thing to do, and number two, you understand what's involved in doing that. Right. But and, and you know you point out the Amazon thing, which is interesting because they they have the opposite strategy. But I think it's we're this is what we're talking about. It's just it's strategy. It's like for whatever reason, you know, Netflix they had the strategy of of public cloud, and and you know specifically AWS, and that made the most sense for them. I think, um, well, yeah, but I think it, also, Netflix is wanting to focus more on providing sorry, content. I meant to say Netflix. I think I, did I say? Did you, I think you said. Netflix. Uh, that's what I was talking about. Is Netflix? But I, I was just trying to trying to draw a kind of difference between. I think what what Netflix's primary focus is, you know, delivering content, producing content. Um, I don't think they want to be in the business of being a technology company. They want to they want to be a kind of media company, content. I guess, a content yeah, con- company, content delivery. Whereas yeah. Dropbox is a technology company and as they grow and as they continue to, to try to invest more into the company and, and expand its capabilities, you know, they're really focused on the technology. So it kind of makes sense that they would want to own that entire stack versus Netflix where they really don't want to be a technology company. I think they want to be a media content company. Right. And again, it's, it's just, a, you have to pick a strategy. And when you get to that scale, you really want to fine tune things to work the best for your business and to, and to, be as efficient as possible in terms of, you know, cost and performance and everything else. And, you know, if you think of Netflix, I mean, their compute demand is probably highly um, cyclical just throughout a day, throughout the day, right? Yeah. They're, oh my gosh, they're, (laughs) (laughs) 
You having, you having a hard time? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Click. You know, as soon as I fix one, I, I, I move on to another. It's just so irritating. Nothing like recording. Just blame the allergies. There's that's no, what I'm nothing do. like uh, you know recording a podcast to really highlight <laughs> all your verbal tics. But you know, uh, Netflix is is going to be cyclical throughout the day, probably to a, a huge degree. Like, what's it called? A peak, like their peak in the prime TV watching. Yeah, not, pr- not only day, not only by day in time, but also time of year, like holidays. I notice Netflix just really, yeah, it's tough to to stay connected. So public cloud makes what you'd think make a lot of sense for them because when they're not on peak, they just give all those resources back to the, back to the pool and mm-hmm. they're not paying for them. And, you know, when you're at that scale also, you can, you have, you know, contracts with Amazon and, you know, you're, you're always going to use a, a certain level. You're going to do a certain amount of business with Amazon in a year and so you're going to get discounts yeah. and everything. So, but yeah. Now, the, the, looks like Wired has a, and an in-depth article. I'm going to check this out. It's really interesting, though. On these, <laughs> any, anything around the cloud, it's it's still, you know, because the the business models are kind of not proven still, and and companies are still trying to figure out how to cash. What do we do on premise? How do we manage you know this cloud thing? Do we do we use cloud technologies internally, like right. you know, VMware style? Or do you know, is it public cloud or is it a mix? And how do you manage those workflows? I mean, there's, there's, there's so much questions. There's so much innovation happening, um, like with Docker lightweight containers. <laughs> um, I, that's, that, it's kind of sad that I can't, I can't use Docker lightweight containers in a normal conversation know, without laughing. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be like interviewing. <laughs> and they're going to be like, oh, that guy was weird. He just started laughing for no reason in the middle of the interview. <laughs> All I did was ask him about Do- if he knew anything about Docker. <laughs> But I was like, "You mean the lightweight container?" <laughs> no, it's 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 pretty interesting how um, quickly I just that whole space is changing. And I mean, there's I mean, tons of VC activity around. I mean, speaking of Docker, I mean, all these things that now manage Docker, like everything from Google's uh, what are they called Kubernetes, Kubernetes to um, I can't think of it. Some of the other ones, a pivotal has. I mean, everyone's now. Um, what's the the Salesforce uh, Heroku? Heroku. 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 Um, you know, they support Docker lightweight containers now. So there's, but there's there's you know there's companies that have started up just to help you manage running Docker at scale, right. and they're getting VC funding. And there's you know these are business strategies, and there's just there's so much happening around around that space that it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah. As as uh, if you're a Salesforce, you know. Professional though you d- you don't have to worry about any of these things. True, right? It's all it's all built it's for all, you in the yeah. clouds, point and click. You don't have to worry about scaling because you don't get to scale. <laughs> you have to be a governor limit engineer. <laughs> That's okay. Just practice practice your mindfulness. That's what Benioff is doing. I know. I, <laughs> are we going to talk about that? I, I'm going to segue into something I read about uh, Benioff apparently bringing in thirty monks. To, to the office to kind of see how they're working and to, to have a conversation <laughs> as, as he plans his new digs out, as he plans the new Salesforce tower out. Is he going to hire some feng shui experts to do all the design? I'm sure he is. I think that's, I think, I feel like feng shui is like a 10 But it, it was funny in the article, it said that um, he asked them, you know, well, what do you think? And they go, everyone's always talking and working. <laughs> Who said that? The monks. Oh. And he's like, uh, yeah, that's what we do here. 
Um, and, and so according to the article, they went and had a, com- a conversation and they came up with some kind of compromise, which I think is interesting. I, I guess the monks was like, I don't, why is everyone working so hard? And Benny was like, well, we kind of have to get stuff done. So that, I guess the, the idea is they're going to try to find a balance. They're going to create these mindful spaces in the tower where people can get away and relax. Um, I think I read, oh, I really want to find this because it was, it was interesting to me. You need to create a, this is a quote from Benioff saying that you need to create a space and connect with people that are innovative. Which I don't know what that means. I don't know. As There's so much, so much of what Benioff talks about nowadays, I just I don't understand. He's very, he's much more into the whole, you know, Buddhism slash, you know, monks and different things. And I, I don't, you know, that's just not my thing. I've got friends who are way into that and that were super into the mindfulness stuff at Dreamforce they had this past year. Well, Allison gave us a, Give us some insight into that as well. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, um, she I think she participated in some of that. She said it was... Super creepy. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> she did not. <laughs> was that me or you? That was you. <laughs> Sorry. Just get a little closer, up, more up on your mic there, John. I, I've <laughs> I think been, I went down your throat there for a second. I think it did. <laughs> Let me move it. So I don't know. What do you think about this this whole mindfulness thing? It I seems think like it's fine. it seems like tech companies traditionally started out with trying to give you games and places to go and hang out because they needed you there all the time. I think this is the this is this and is that, but for adults. I guess, but th- this isn't about keeping you there. This isn't about you know letting you define your work schedule and if you want to goof off for an hour and then make it up you know a few hours later you know into six or seven o'clock because you're young and you have no family to go home to. Right. You know that, that's cool, but I, I think. I think you're right. It's it's probably like an evolution of that for for adults for for those of us that are kind of just you know the day's getting to me. I need I need to take a break, and and to be able to do that, you know, I've I've worked in companies where if you took a break, people are wondering where you're at and what are you doing. That's what our whiskey cabinet's for, though. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you can keep your mindfulness area. I'm gonna stick to my. <laughs> this is my mindfulness area. <laughs> that that little cabinet that <clears throat> houses the whiskey. Maybe maybe at Salesforce, mindfulness area is code word for you know in office bar. <laughs> maybe I mean I if they had that then I you know that's that's a good benefit I mean I'm not apply there <laughs> no <laughs> I mean I, you know uh, I, I feel like Benioff you know he he wants to be a good employer I think they and they get pretty good yeah know. he enjoys being named you know one of the best companies to work for and you know I mean who wouldn't I mean as as Donna. an employer <laughs> as, as I'm trying not to be c- cynical, cynical here I, I mean I really do think he wants to provide a good uh, you know, a good working environment. And that means a lot of different things. But one thing it means, I think, is just keeping your energy focused and being able to take breaks and know where, you, you know, regroup and know where your limits are. And ultimately, it, it makes people probably, I mean, the idea, I think, is that it makes people more productive. Yeah. If you can, if you can take breaks and, you know, again, bring some focus back to what I'm sure can get, Salesforce is a fast-moving company with probably a lot of super deadline-driven, and you know, probably within an hour you can you can get so mentally scattered if you're in different meetings. And well, how many times has and, Parker and, at, at a keynote said Benioff came to me last week and said we need this demoable for Dreamforce? Right. Uh, that that could have been just stage theatrics, but what if it's not? And what if he's actually having right. to work on those deadlines? 
But I mean, having you know all sorts of little perks like that around the office—that's that, nice. I think so. You know, Google's famous. for I think the, it's good to encourage people to. Is take it Google or Apple that's famous for the um, really nice like in-house food or whatever? I think it's Google, right? I think they both do it. I don't know. I'm sure they both do it, and Apple's working on their spaceship campus right now. I wonder if that'll have any mindful spaces in it. It should. It's a spaceship. You know, speaking of that, and we're kind of all over the place now, but I I thought I heard um, or read somewhere that already that new facility they're building, new campus. Isn't going to be big enough? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, back back to the having awesome food. There was something called like the Google 15, which is... The 15 pounds that you gain within, you know, a couple oh, of like months of starting, of starting at Google, right? Yeah, yeah. working at Google. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but they have bikes. You can bike across the campus yeah. and you can just, you know, burn some, burn some lunch off. Yeah. We have a nice park here. We could walk around. We could. I need to, speaking of that, I need to start bringing like some good walking shoes. Mm. I do. I have uh, rain boots in my car because of our love, lovely designed <laughs> drainage in the parking lot. Yeah, most of my shoes are fabric, so they get soaked. Um, I uh, have you have you seen this the new uh, Dy- Microsoft Dynamics Spring Wave? They have a Spring Wave, which I guess is their new release. Did any, we talk about any, this? Any relation to Salesforce Wave? I don't think so. Not if but it's they, dynamics. But they're getting they're getting field service now. In fact, I think they. Had announced that, and we're building that before Salesforce ever announced it. Yeah, you because know, now Salesforce has what they call. It's one of my topics. I want to get into it. Salesforce has, or it's. I don't think it's available yet, but it's going to be what? field service lightning. It was announced yesterday, and I think it's available now. Well, they talked about it. At the um, I know, but yesterday everyone's for some reason the the PR the Salesforce said okay everyone now now yes. start talking about Salesforce it. Salesforce said everyone because now there's like right. ten billion yes, articles. You guys on all field go service. write articles on this today. We want to. Listen, hey, they, they, you know, they get all these guys in a room. Salesforce gets all these bloggers and whatever they are. Okay, we want to do a blitz, guys, and we need you on board here because we don't want to spend a lot of ad money. We need <laughs> articles written. Here's the talk. I mean, you can read them. They all have the exact same talking about. You can tell they... They're giving away the secrets uh, of what happened to us at Dreamforce. No they locked this us is, in a room and <laughs> <laughs> showed us videos <laughs> with our eyes taped open. Oh, I did tell you that was Salesforce that locked in the room, didn't I? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait a minute, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, I, so on their spring wave update, they're going to have a bunch of more machine learning stuff. So that's, that's the new. Remember for the longest time, it was marketing that was the, the big area of competition. Now the battleground is, is machine learning. Yeah. Um, but they're going to have AI that will scour your data to find the best way that you can better understand your customers. Sounds like something Microsoft would say. But it's powered. It's, it runs on Azure. Not that that matters all that much, but interesting. You know, that's one thing, one benefit Microsoft has as as an application provider is that they've got access to basically the best set of, you know, runtime services on par with like, you know, Amazon or it's really, you know, AWS, Azure. Yeah. I mean, that's a recent thing though. I mean, I mean, they, I mean talk about controlling every level of the stack, right? They, well, I mean, Microsoft has enjoyed that for years. They've 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 had the server. They have Active Directory. They have your yeah. OS. They they've had all that, but they never unified it correctly. I I, I feel like the I think they are now though. Well, that's what I mean. I think the advancement in technology and the the kind of new 
microservice architecture style thing and, and cloud services has really enabled them to kind of do these things without a lot of work. Whereas before everything was these really very isolated contained applications. I wanted to ask you, have you ever worked with encrypted fields in Salesforce or the new, what their new red tape edition with the, it's called platform encryption that it has? Um, not, I mean, that's a point and click feature. I don't, I mean, I've used objects that have had them and put stuff into them and things like that, but not, I mean, beyond that, nothing well, really major. I ask for two reasons. One, because I have recently, and it turns out that when you, if you have encrypted fields, I, I don't understand why Salesforce implemented it this way. Okay, so let's, let me back up for a minute. If you have a field that you only want certain types of people to see, then that's what profiles are for, right? You can completely block someone's access to a field mm-hmm. via profiles. They can't get it through the UI. They can't get it through Salesforce One. Is that what it's still called, Salesforce One, or is it Mobile Lightning or something? Salesforce One. You sure about that? Uh, everything have I've you, read. Have, even... you ch- have you checked today? <laughs> One of the latest articles I read about the new field service is, yeah. is Salesforce One. Okay. So. Um, you know, th- via API, they can't access, you know, you can completely block someone's access to. So, so making sure the right people have access to the right things and nothing more is, is already a solved problem, right? That's already a solved problem. Right. Okay. How your data sits at rest in the database whether it's encrypted or clear text, is a completely separate problem. Right. Because if it's in clear text and someone hacks into Salesforce, you're in trouble, right? Right. If it's in clear text and someone walks out of the data center with a hard drive somehow, you're in trouble. Salesforce has confounded these two problems, these two uh, different problems. The way that encrypted fields work, it, it controls who, not only data at rest, so if it's, if you, enable and if you make a field encrypted it is encrypted at rest but if you want someone to be able to see that encrypted field they have to have the permission called view encrypted data or view encrypted fields or whatever yeah and it's an all or nothing they get to view all the encrypted fields or none of the encrypted fields yeah okay salesforce screwed this up they they missed the mark on this this was not a well-designed feature no because i mean ideally Well, ideally, you don't have that much encrypted information that you're storing. Ideally, I try to discourage it as much as possible. But why not? Why not have? Why not encrypt everything? I mean, if it's sitting on a hard drive in a database, just have it encrypted. I mean, it is. It is encrypted at at that. Oh no, it's not. No, it is. Oh, if you enable encrypted fields, and if you any field that you mark is encrypted, yes, it's encrypted at disk. Everything else is not encrypted. Right on disk at Salesforce. Right. Okay. Yeah, so any field that you say, yeah, right, you enable as an encrypted field, it will be encrypted at disk. The problem is, is if that's what your concern is, like, hey, uh, we want to just make sure that when it's sitting in the database, it's encrypted. Okay, you can, you can turn that on for certain fields, but now no one can have, no one can, none of your users can even see that field unless they have view, you know, all encrypted data permission. Um, and so, I noticed, so what are you what are you saying is the right solution then that it should have an extra they, layer? They've confounded the two problems. They they're completely. You should be able to have total disk encryption, total at rest encryption, and have it not affect who who can see certain fields. That's already a solved problem with profiles and permission sets and things like that. They've they've uh, confounded the two the two separate problems. I, I guess, but I I'm still struggling to see. I mean, everything on the Salesforce side, your actual data data once it makes it to disk is secure. They had, they no, have plenty wait, of wait, 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 don't use the word secure, because that, that's a meaningless term here. It's not encrypted. It may be secure. They may... The, you but know, what's listen, the obsession with it being encrypted? 
on disk and the entire data set encrypted. It's not my obsession. It's customers and companies' obsession. Some companies, there are regulations. Some companies require that self, you know, any tax identifier uh, or any PII yeah, in general that's is that encrypted. One field. And if disk. you enable encryption, then yes, it is encrypted. It decrypts it if you have that permission and it allows you to see that information. What is your argument? What are you saying? I'm trying to understand what your issue is with. The issue is, is if you, if you want your data encrypted, you have to, you have to give, and people need to, you just need to be able to see this data. They have to have the view encrypted fields and it's an all or nothing. They either view, they either can view all the encrypted fields or none of the encrypted fields. And it shouldn't be about viewing and data encryption at rest should not be about who can view the data. That's a solved problem with profiles, right? And like, and to your point a minute ago, when it's at rest, when when my database my, my data is sitting in the database, I want it to be secure, whether or not that's encrypted or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. I want Salesforce to have good security. I don't want people to be hacking them. I want them to have good physical security. I want armed guards at the doors of the data centers. All that stuff, right? But I still need to be able to control who of my users, different types of users, which ones have access to different fields. It's a totally separate problem. I mean, you still kind of have that. You, I mean, yeah, you, turning on, giving them the, the ability to see well, encrypted fields is one thing, but then on top of it, you have profiles that, and you could still say they can't see this field at all. Right, but you can't say they can see it. You can't say this... You can't say, I want this, you know, this profile can't see this field because if they don't have view all encrypted data, they can't see it. The, so is your argument that, say, you have two encrypted fields, one you want that person to be able to see, but the other one you don't want them to see, and, and because there's only one global permission that says they can see it all? Yeah, you have to give them. Then they have to see both? Well, this is, and this, this is what the solution is to it. Basically, you give everyone view, view all encrypted data. Everyone should have, that's a, I think that's the solution. No, I mean, there are going to be people who are, let, let's just say an order. Let's say you have an order and you have an, a credit card number or something you encrypted. Okay. okay. There are going to be people on the order processing side that need to see that credit card number. There are going to be people on the front end sales side that probably don't need to and see that And that's called number. profiles. Okay. Okay. So that's handled. But I still want that encrypted at disk. Right. And you're saying... And, and there's other things where you might want a salesperson to be able to see a field, but not an operations person. The, the complete flip situation, right? You still want all of that encrypted. Which means that you have to give everyone view encrypted data. And you control who actually sees field by field via profiles. I'm not on board with your argument. I still think... Okay, let's say... Sales, let, let's say, sales let's say, leave that feature off. They don't need to see any encrypted data. And so, well, even, even if it's on their profile... So you're, saying, and they you're, can saying, see you're f- saying that all the data that salespeople can see, none of that can be encrypted. None of that's going to be encrypted, and you can't encrypt it. Well, I see. If they have their own requirements, you have for to give everyone. You have to give everyone view encrypted data, and that's just, that solves the problem. Because the big, the big, the big problem is, is when my data is sitting in the database, I want it encrypted. That's what everyone's concern is: data at rest, encryption at rest, total disk encryption. Right? Do it. Turn it on. But give everyone. I mean, all your listen. Of course, when when I log into Salesforce and it's show, it's pulling data through all their their stack of services, and it lands in my web browser. I want that whole process to be secured. Right. From the disk, through the application, the security layers, all the way through the network and transport encryption, I want it all encrypted and secure. Not a question. Period. The end, right? And right. I want the best security I can get. When it's sitting in disk, I want it secured. I want it, inc- I want it, and I'd like it encrypted too. So just turn that on and basically anyone, 
and it, and all your users, like you want all that encryption. So just turn it on. And the way you control who has access to what fields, we already have that. It's called profiles. And you can also control who has access to what records if you want to. It's called, you know, private sharing models and sharing rules and all that stuff. So really, it's I think you're, it's not, a, you're, not, you're still you're still only talking about encrypting certain fields. So you're not ta- talking about enti- encrypting entire. Well, Salesforce doesn't have encrypt entire. Okay, I, I just yeah, they should, they should. D- Dynamics does. That, that, that's what made me think of this. Well, two. But things. are we sure? I'm, I've never seen any of their documentation when they talked about their architecture and how it was how the information was stored. I've seen plenty to, that that explains the multi tenant architecture, but nothing that said that the actual plain text data, which is what it all ends up being, is encrypted. They won't tell you that because it's not encrypted. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's the reason why you can, on a field-by-field level, turn on encryption because it's not encrypted. And it's multi-tenant, so you... But is, that, is that purely a, a application layer encryption? No, it's in the database. Encrypted well, I, I, mean, I mean that switch, that switch of, you know, can I see it, can I not? That's in... Well, I don't know what you mean. That's a setting in Salesforce. Yeah, I see what you're saying. No, nope, I see what you're but, saying. But uh, to me, the, again, you got to figure out what problem is encrypting the data and the database solving. It really has nothing to do with any particular user or any pr- class of users. It's just that your, your org data, you should always want that encrypted. I mean, if that's, an, if that's available, encrypt everything. I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's other software as a service, like uh, Workday, for example. I think, I think it's, it's 100% disk encryption. Whereas with Salesforce, your data is sitting in a... It's multi-tenant, so it's literally sitting in the same database. But is as, that just one of those implementation decisions that says, you know, this is how we choose to secure our data is by encrypting the entire thing, whereas Salesforce maybe has additional, you know, different layers, the armed guards at the door, you know, because, I mean, there, there is standards and compliances that, and certifications that they have, and they have plenty of them. You know what you can do with the certification, though, when your data gets stolen? You can wipe your butt with it. It doesn't matter. I'm not saying the certification guarantees and security. Ma- and but there's many regulations that require disk-level encryption. Um, well, it'd be, the, it'd be interesting to find out, you know, true from the source of whether or not it, it actually, it, the entire data set is encrypted on disk. Oh, it's not. Salesforce? No, Salesforce does not have disk encryption. I want a document. What? You won't find one. They won't. They, there's nothing out there that says it's not encrypted, but you will not find anything that says it does. And if and if it was whole disk encryption, why why can you turn on field level encryption? That makes no sense. It's, it's already encrypted. Yeah, it's, it's clear text. Um, but you know, yeah. So Dynamics has. Um, they, I guess I don't know how long they had this, but they have the ability. You know, well, it's it's full customer database, and it actually uses a SQL Server feature called Transport. No, transparent data encryption. Real-time I.O. encryption and decryption of the data and its log files to provide encryption at rest. Is Dynamics, is, are they multi-tenant? You would think they're SaaS. The hosted SaaS is, but... I don't know. I don't know for sure either. Again, that's one of those things like multi... Whether someone's, you know, remember when Mark... Benioff said that one of the things that, that makes cloud cloud is that it's multi-tenant. Well, honestly, I mean, when I sign up for Salesforce, I don't, I don't care if they create a new database for me right there on the fly or if they put me in a database with other... I mean, actually, if I had a choice, I'd prefer to have be in my own database, assuming it's, it's just as fast of a setup or whatever. I mean, the whole reason, the whole point of putting multiple customers in the same database is it's just operational efficiency, really, I guess. 
you know, easier to put everyone in the same database than create a database for each customer. Yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to think of all the additional processes they have sitting on top of just the actual database layer itself. And so that means every process, every index job, every, you know, query request all has to, you know, go through and decrypt and then run every decrypt everything. Yeah. Go through and um you know, index or, or filter down or whatever it has to do and, and apply security and and then, you know, push that up. Yeah. But yeah, so I'd, to put a cap on that previous thing, I think if you're going to do that encryption with Salesforce, you have the platform encryption feature or or whatever the, it, I guess the, if you don't have, what's the red tape edition called? Um, Shield? Shield, right? Mm-hmm. Salesforce Shield, something like that. Or, uh, Shield Lightning. Lightning Shield. That's what it's, Lightning Shield. It's Lightning something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> shield plus Lightning somewhere. Listen, turn it on and encrypt anything that's important and give, and all users should have the uh, encrypted data because... It is not a user by user thing. It is a it's a data at rest problem. That's what it solves. So all you consultants out there, that's uh, that's what you should do. It would be nice if they just did whole disk encryption. I mean, I'm sure Oracle supports that. Yeah, probably. Um, in a, in one a second. So it, speaking of Salesforce's implementation of encryption, if you encrypt a field, then that means did you know? So here's here's some. Um, Fun trivia for you. You, you market field is encrypted. You can no longer have list views based on that field. You can no longer report on that field. You can it can no longer show up in a where clause. Um, oh, there's all sorts of things that you can't do with that field now. Yeah, I'm trying to think of some other ones. It can't be an external ID, which unfortunately, the sometimes the fields that you are encrypting, like social, is used as as identifier, social security number, which is an American thing. It's how the government tracks its human resources um, in this country. <laughs> uh, that's usually not an identifier, right? And they might even make, make that your external ID if you're integrating with some system, but you, you can. If you, if you want that field encrypted at rest. So I think Salesforce has some, something in their application layer stack that is encrypting that value and putting it in the database. That I, don't th- I, bet you, I don't think the database even knows about it. If it did, if they were using the database's encryption features, then you could still query on it and everything else. Well, that probably lends evidence to the fact that it's not encrypted, which means your the indexers and everything else that that are required to make that technology work is sitting there plain text. Yeah. Not encrypted. Yeah. You know, and when Salesforce, I mean, again, Salesforce has been around for long enough now that when they, I mean, this stuff was not available when they built their architecture. And this goes back to the people, some of these analysts saying, hey, you know, listen, Salesforce is there on, their architecture is aging now. I mean, if you would start Salesforce right now it, and architect from scratch, it would look nothing like what Salesforce looks like right now. I, I still defend them with, with Lightning because it's, it's not a skin. They're, they are actually re-engineering features as, and bringing them over into Lightning, which is why there's no, there isn't a switch saying, okay, now but all I don't, these features I don't think are there. That, I hear what you're saying, and I don't disagree, I think, with what you're saying, but that doesn't mean they've, they've had to re-architect the way their they're, you know, database and you know, routing and indexing and all these things work. The, the, I don't, yeah, think, I don't think it affects those. It, it, it doesn't, but I think we've, I've said this before, is that I, I, it could be a kind of cleaning up the mess a bit and then so that you can kind of drill into deeper parts of the mess and clean that up. I don't know why I'm using no. the word mess, but as an analogy, you, you clean something. You To me, you take all the bad stuff out and then you start putting things back in strategically. Yeah. 
and that's what Lightning is doing. They're putting things back in strategically. And then <clears throat> once once it's stable, they can start going and saying, okay, we've cleaned this up. We know how this has worked and it's isolated really well. Maybe now we have the opportunity to change this really base low-level component. Yeah. Except you have to be able to, I mean, if you're saying Lightning is what makes that possible, then that means that you've got to wait till everyone's on Lightning and no one's on Classic anymore to be able to do those things. True. It'll, it'll, it, it's going to take time. Yeah. I mean, but, I, and, but, but we've, all, we've said this before too. There's, there's really no good way f- for you to kind of change your architecture. Especially when people don't you know, expect no downtime. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's, it's hard. It's not like you can just, okay, here's a new box. Everyone jump on. Speaking of it downtime, work that way. Speaking of downtime um, you were probably sick as a dog when this happened, but um, there's a major outage in Europe. It was, uh, there was one before I left. Maybe that's what it was. We, did, we, we didn't talk about it. We, we mentioned it. Uh, well, yeah, we? we did. We talked about it. Well, okay. It was like the EU2 instance or something. It was down for like six hours because it was down while we were recording. Oh, was it? I still have it on my notes, but I, this, is, this, I have to, this cracks me up. This is from The Register, which is a, a British rag that uh, has a sense of humor. It said, one of Salesforce's European instances is currently enduring a lengthy, unplanned what's called a partial inability to support totally optimal performance, a.k.a. pit stop. That's what that stands for. Which is a wit below um, the other status indicator of a total inability to support, un- or sorry, total inability to support usual performance, or tits up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, took me a while to connect with that. But the, no, and here's a quote from Salesforce that this cracked me up. We have determined that this is on trust, I think. We have determined that the issue was caused by a storage failure, which impacted communication to the storage tier. My thought was, okay, so in other words, the failure was caused by a failure, which caused things to fail. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. That's nice transparency there. What else do you want to know? It was down. Eight hours. It, was, it ended up being eight hours? I think so. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, field service lightning. Did you want to talk about that? I did. Okay. First, at first, I wanted to talk about how weird people are drawing lines with this. Why did this article disappear? What happened? So, Salesforce Con said, hey, you, you guys take that down right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I found it. I must have clicked on something else. All right, so field service lightning. We, we've We've... We've heard about it. Now it's it's coming to fruition. It's yeah, it's it's encroaching on uh, Service Max's domain. Um, I think they claim it's like a fifteen billion dollar domain. Oh, the market, the market. Yeah, I, I yeah. saw eighteen billion, but you know, well, they're all made up numbers, so but I'm yeah. sure that's the order of magnitude. Um, so, so one was one interesting take on this, and this was by Erica Morphy on this uh, site called CMS Wire. This, I think, is probably the wrong take on it, but Salesforce taps IoT to deliver personal, personalized field service. And this proves my point that Just, no one knows what no, IoT is. That, that's, because a mobile device was involved, it's, it's part of the IoT. I guarantee you Salesforce's press release had IoT in it, though, and that's why they just copied and pasted it. They're going to they're gonna say whatever Salesforce tells them to say. And I, by the way, the CMS wire is garbage. <laughs> Don't ever give them the, your email address. <laughs> Why? Because you'll never you'll get spam for life. Is, is that your, is that what you're you're experiencing? They're just they're they're trashy. <laughs> yeah. So so Salesforce is in the space. They 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 say you know that sale, 
customers have been asking for this. They really want this native in the platform. They they want they want this. What what's interesting is they're actually licensing part of their technology. Yeah. From um, Click Software. Yeah. I saw that. Which I thought was interesting. I mean if it, it I mean the article did mention Oracle and Microsoft quite a bit. And actually all these articles did in, in talking about how Microsoft acquired the, the capability and so they did, did acquire? Okay. Who did Microsoft buy? Um I have it here somewhere. <laughs> uh, Field One Services. I'm still surprised. I feel like Salesforce should have bought ServiceMax. I mean, it's. I'm. Mean, I thought one of their most important partners. I thought it's, so too. It's, and supposedly it's because I know people that work there, and they've told me that it's built basically completely on Salesforce. It's basically a native to Salesforce, you know, solution. Yeah. Why would Salesforce and they would not inherit, just, inherit their I mean, customers? Maybe, maybe, and we don't know what happened. Maybe they tried to buy, and they, you know, either Service Max just wanted way too much money, or they're just like, no, we don't, we don't want to do it. Um, that's we don't possible. know. We don't know. But it, God, just, I mean, that space was being served already, and you also have what's the big one? Service Now. Um, they're big. They're they're a public company. Big uh, right? Am I making that up? No, they're public, right? Uh, I'm not sure they're public. I'm actually they're big and they're they're like the leader in you know SaaS field service. I don't even think they have an integration with Salesforce though. I don't know if they do or not. Which I thought, which I think is odd. They might. I don't. I would. I never checked. I'm, I don't I'm doing. Yeah. I'm working on an integration right now with ServiceNow. Using oh, you their, are using their APIs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're about it? to. Okay. I haven't started yet. We. How was better than that last API you were having to use where you had to? Munch that up. thing is still giving me issues. <laughs> I'm sure it is. <laughs> Uh, that's it, what, it, hap- that's it, what it happens. That's what happens to production. Listen, that's, what, still ha- that's what happens when you back. hire these guys to build your web service. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you get is that complete pile of garbage yeah. that is completely inoperable. Or no, that's not the word I wanted. Not interoperable. Not it's not interoperable. Interoperable. Yeah, it's not interoperable. I think I left out a syllable, a syllable. Yeah, um, and also Salesforce. I saw this pointed out. I guess Salesforce is releasing this new service which they did there's my understanding they did license some components from this click software but they actually built you know the solution on on top of that and built it on lightning but they're not doing any kind of pilot or or like beta testing or anything they're just no it's there there's no beta there's no nothing it's it's there it's perfect no problems (laughs) how much is it per user per month (laughs) Uh, that i don't know you know what I'd like to do is I want to, if you bought everything that Salesforce has. How much would that be? Yeah. A month. Yeah. That's well, kind of hard all, because that, that I pr- think if you, if you went and bought everything, there's enough margin there for, for the rep to kind of give you a bunch oh, of yeah, discounts. Oh yeah. No, you wouldn't. Not, yeah. Right. You would never pay that much. And some, yeah. some people pointed out, I think, uh, uh, um, I was talking about, what was I talking about? Something about, I think it was Salesforce's price increases and Stephen Harrod tweeted that, you know, People generally don't pay that. That's that's true, especially on you know more sizable deals. You don't pay less price. But I'm, it's, it'd be a fun exercise because you know the performance edition starts out at what is it? What's the list price on that? Three fifty per user per month. So just start there and go up. You know, just start adding <laughs> everything on. <laughs> like a kid walking through the Salesforce candy store, check every box. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I the the other side of this this whole field service thing is is the the 
the idea that's being thrown around that software is your answer, that, that software will, will, will improve your, your ability to service your John, customers. And software is awesome. Always, technology is always the answer. It is. It's, as long as it's web-enabled. So this was, this was a <laughs> quote from, ugh, I don't even know how to say his name. He, so he's co-founder and strate- chief strategy officer for ServiceMax. His name is Anthony Krishna Prasad. Sorry Good job, Good that job name. John. I think I said that right. And so he says, there's, there's absolutely an advantage to being able to minimize downtime and get something fixed during the first visit. The technician walks in with a modern mobile device. The idea that someone is walking in with information, there is an emotional hook, which I think is wrong. Yeah. I don't even understand that. The, the idea that just because someone comes in with a phone and has some software, to me, a, as a consumer, as someone who actually has to call people to come fix stuff, that, does, that doesn't impress me. I'm, I expect them to have a phone. I expect them to have, to be able to call people to order parts or ask a question or those kind of things. My, my issue with the service is, A, scheduling. They want you to sit around your house for four to six hours. And B, um, whether or not they're actually knowledgeable about what they're trying to fix. Because that's what matters most. If they don't know what they're doing and they take some guess or say they're going to come back, you know, two or three days later. Now I got another four to six hours I'm losing. It, it, this is a great example. It all comes back to your human resources. It does. It comes back to people. And when it comes you, back when you to treat, having, when you treat people like human resources, like a, just a big bag of goop or cogs in a wheel and you can just replace one with the other, then you get these untrained people, right? Who you're saying, you know, uh, the right person could, you know, Identify and fix something within 15 minutes and said, you got the wrong person. Mm-hmm. And after fiddling every bit they can find five hours later, it's still, it's not working. Yeah. The, the other thing it might solve for, and I'm using air quotes here <laughs> because I hate this, is the upsell. Maybe they'll spend less time sitting out in their damn truck for an hour coming up with all these different new quotes they want to give me to, to improve my thing yeah. or to, to get a new thing. You know, maybe they'll maybe they just have a little mobile device that does it for them, and I'll get to say no quicker. But that's the other thing. With, with I'm these glad you're. Scripts. I'm glad you're not bitter at all about this. It bugs me. <laughs> the whole field service industry bugs the crap out of me. I, I I guess I understand. You know, if they're servicing a call, they don't know if it's going to take an hour or 15 minutes to solve that issue for that particular customer. So scheduling is difficult. It's kind of this range, and yeah. so some companies have now started where they can at least give you a call. 10, 15, 30 minutes before they're on their way so you at least know. Um, so I understand it's a hard problem to solve, but at the same time, once they're there, I expect them to kind of know what they're doing to be able to fix it and give me some valid information, not some guy that's got a phone with a knowledge base going, um, I think it's this. Yeah, let me pull up my Salesforce field service lightning. Yeah. So, I mean, use the tools for, for scheduling and getting people there and, and following up with people. But don't don't say that it's going to solve your damn service well, problem if you have horrible people come into people's houses. What about what the thing they showed us at Dreamforce two years ago, where someone just puts on their their the VR augmented reality <laughs> glasses and it's just showing him every little thing to fix? No, no real technician needs that. If you know what you're doing, you go in there, you pop it in, you pop it out. You don't need that. You don't need augmented. You know who needs? You don't need aug, ah, technicians. Don't need that. You know who needs that? Probably some guy who's doing this for the first time, or like some homeowner, and they're saying. That that would be nice for them, if if I if I want to service my own water heater or something, I can do the little augmented thing and it shows me what to do. Yeah. yeah. But the technicians going to my house, they don't need that. They shouldn't need that. If they need that, send me a new technician that knows what they're doing. Yeah. 
I agree. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) I hate having to call people to come to my house. I I like to do things myself. Yeah. UPS called me today because I ordered a ladder. Okay. It's being delivered. And I guess it's UPS. And they scheduled a, a window for me. They have to be there when they arrive. Have you ever had UPS call you to schedule a window? I didn't even no. know they did this. 11 to 5. For a ladder? <laughs> yes. They can't just leave it on your front door? I guess not. It's only a $120 ladder. What's the big deal? <laughs> uh, they need they need fill service lightning. Speaking of like new features. Hopefully um, after you get your ladder, we're not having a conversation how you broke your leg falling off a ladder. <laughs> well, the problem is I have to replace <laughs> light bulbs that are 16 and a half feet in the air. Um, Salesforce IQ for Outlook was released. It's uh, $25 per user per month. <laughs> so I just keep adding that on. It's making your Outlook <laughs> smart. It's only available for Outlook.com, which I guess is the web version. No desktop, or at least not yet. You don't need no stinking desktop. Uh, I guess, it, you know, it tells you who to call, who you need to call next and whatever. Again, it's going to, you don't need smart humans anymore. Just, you know, compute. Pretty much, eventually, we're just going to have a computer, like some kind of chip and plug, you know, like a port, and we'll just plug into our computer, our our Salesforce IQ, and it's just going to make words, the right words come out of our mouths. (laughs) That that might be welcomed. (laughs) Some of the people that get on the phone Uh, and try to to have a conversation with me just, ugh. We have a laugh track now. We have a laugh track now. It's kind of long. It wasn't that funny. (laughs) (laughs) There's always that guy, isn't there? There's always someone hacking up. Um, New financial services platform. Did we talk about that? Uh, I'm aware of it. You know what the biggest problem in this in the financial services this at industry? And you know what's what is it called? We're talking about specifically these people that. You, they want you to give them all, all your money and they will just take care of everything for you. What are those? Is that, I mean, that's a subset. That's wealth management. Sorry. This is, yeah. we're talking about wealth management, right? Yeah. Okay. Their biggest problem is the fact that their clients are old and they die frequently. Usually when you get a new client, they're already retired. <laughs> <laughs> well, more, I mean, well, I mean, wealth management, they try to start it early. They, they try to they try to get you in once, once you've kind of established yourself. Yeah, you don't have enough start, money. You generally don't have enough money then, so they don't want to talk to you. Because most of these guys don't want to talk to you unless you have at least a hundred thousand, and most of them it's like a half a million. Yeah. To to invest with them. Well, no, I mean, there's some financial planners out there that that are kind of your entry level into that. But I've noticed with I think it was the health the health cloud was that what they called the other the health vertical. Similar thing here with the financial services vertical. So here's who all third parties that are required to make this thing work: Athena Group. Um, Yodely, which is the thing that so many of the banks use that mm-hmm. connects to your bank accounts. DocuSign e- e- or eSign Live, whichever one you want. Informatica or MuleSoft. Orion and, and Advisor Software. So I don't know if it kind of just cobbles these things together, puts a lightning UI on top of it. No, I mean, a lot of, the, a lot of that is, is how you get Get a lot of the information from the just from the industry in general. Well, yeah, I mean, if you want to bill people, that's Orion. If you want to do portfolio rebalancing, that's Advisor Software. If you want to have access to these people's aggregated accounts, that's Yodely. I don't, yeah. know, I don't know what Athena Group does. If you want, you know, if you want people to be able to sign things, that's DocuSign. Yeah. 
Have you ever worked with DocuSign? Um, no, not directly. Man, I don't know if they're, <coughs> that's some, some ugly, some ugly software. And I did another I mean, one. I've used it. I used, oh yeah, have you? Yeah. It's, it's ugly. <laughs> used it to sign my mortgage last time. Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying from my, yeah. just a signing person. Yeah. I used another one that was even worse. Um, I, in fact, I use another one. That's, I use one in my own business and it's not good. <laughs> it's very bad. I think it's, there's a big barrier to the, to getting in that business though. Are you saying it's ugly because of the, the documents just, it produces? No, no, not necessarily. Or just the, the UI. The UI you have to uh, use to manage, to upload, manage yeah. your documents, you know, see who, what's outstanding, who signed, who has, and all those sorts of things. It's, it's really bad. Mm. Um, did we talk about the, you know, the Salesforce made another press release on the equal pay thing. I think did they? A, yeah, it was, a, it was a couple weeks ago, Why? I think. Um, just because they needed to get it back in the news. Um, but they, so they, originally they said they, they made 2 million in, in salary adjustments, but now they say they've made $3 million in salary adjustments. We I talked, thought, we talked about was this. Three, three million. It's 3 million. That's what, that's what I remember reading. Um, yeah, so that is, uh, 0.0004 of Salesforce's revenue. Yeah. So what does that say about the magnitude of the problem they've solved? By the way. Solving this problem, even though it took Salesforce two years, now, according to Mark Benioff, having an equal pay initiative is so easy. That's his quote, so easy. Yeah, 0.0004 of their revenue, um, based on some, just the kind of looking at their financial statements, I'm, I'm, I'm estimating 0.0012 of actual salaries. Um, they adjusted 1,000 people thousand salaries so that's actually three thousand per salary that got adjusted three thousand dollars so it's like oh this this guy's making 127 k but this other woman who has the same title as him is making 124 k let's bump her up although they said they adjusted women and men so i don't know if there hmm. were men that were underpaid and they found that or if they brought some men's salaries down hey equal pays <laughs> equal pay I guess it's not, so. It's because not the, hey, pay, if you have equal pay, yeah, they're both cogs. Right? They should yeah. get paid the same. Men, both men, resources. Exactly. <laughs> Got to treat your your human resources equally. I just think it's odd that they would re-report this. Who who re-reported it, or was it Salesforce themselves? I don't know, but the the articles were from March eighth, March 9th. I, I see that Sounds happen right. every so often in the Salesforce world, I just think where, they need, where they, articles just kind of listen, reappear. They, they issued another press release and said, "Here, we need more. We need to get back in the news. We need more articles written." Yeah, I guess. I don't know, maybe someone else is having equal pay issues and they, they just wanted to reiterate that yeah, we fixed that here. So th- to me, again, this kind of points out, it, was a, it seems like it was a non-issue at Salesforce. It was. I, and, and, I think, that. and I think that's, that's just a good sign. I mean, you know, it's, I'm not... <laughs> it is a good sign, but now I'm kind of like knocking them for the fact that they had to re-release another press release on it or however, gotta, however it came out. You gotta, you gotta milk it. This is, this is what they're good at, man. This is their thing. Yeah, but when you milk it, it takes it from being the right thing to do to being a PR stunt. Do you know how much Salesforce has paid Hillary Clinton? I'm sure a lot. I think sure, like her fees like 250 grand, and she's been to Dreamforce like what twice now. So according to, I guess because it's you know political season here in the good old United States, um, they're they're releasing all the numbers or right. I guess all the politicians have to release today. But yeah, Salesforce has paid Hillary Clinton five hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, that's about right. But that's in speaking fees, not 
campaign donations. That's yeah, it's and I'm sure it got donated to. It's you know for some reason that still has to in the political official things SC, mm-hmm. or the FEC stuff. Is it FEC? Yeah, um, it has to list it. So it must have either gotten paid to her or to something that she owns or whatever because it had to be reported. Hmm. Uh, yeah, she has like some kind of foundation she runs. So maybe it goes through that. I don't know. Yeah, this little thing called the Clinton yeah. Global, whatever it's called. Uh, Oracle had uh, financial results. Were they good? Well, they're okay. Um, they continue to have small drops in revenue because they're, you know, they're re-architecting their whole business for for cloud now, um, down to a pitifully nine billion dollars in quarterly revenue. Oh, those poor guys. Yeah, I know. I mean, uh, they're going to be closing up shop here pretty soon. No kidding. <laughs> At the transition off those Docker lightweight containers, not profitable <laughs> or to enough. them. Maybe they that's the problem. Yeah, maybe, maybe just make the whole thing Docker lightweight <laughs> containers. There you go. Yeah, make it make it lightweight, and then uh, it should free up a bunch of profit. <laughs> no, so they yeah. We th- really need to get into a conversation about containers and what they are, and I, I think we've beat that joke enough that we need to kind of get into some details. But yeah, maybe. Um, but yes, yeah, nine billion in revenue. So as comparison, Salesforce's most recent revenue was or no. A, what, uh, it's more than had to be one more than one point one billion. Um, probably a couple billion, right? Uh, no, that could be right. Couple or, well, Salesforce they're about at a two billion dollars a quarter. I would say, kind of run rate puts them at eight billion. Yeah, I mean that's um, their projected for this right. year's eight, so should be around that. Yeah. Um, Oracle says they added nine hundred and forty-two new SaaS customers, including many that switched from Workday's human capital management to. Or human cat human. They should call that. <laughs> it's human capital now. It's just <laughs> I know to Oracle Fusion HCM. Um, what else is interesting? They have more than eleven thousand SaaS customers with nearly two thousand Fusion ERP. Fusion is their lightning. <laughs> it, it kind of is. Just they, every, they Fusion all the things. Fusion. Yeah. Um. So Elson says, in dollar terms, Oracle is selling more enterprise and pass new cloud revenue than any other company in the world, including Salesforce.com. And they have a bigger portfolio on that. Well, if you read between the lines, I think what he's saying is they're they're, what he's saying is they're growing faster. Like if you look at Oracle's new SaaS business and Salesforce's new SaaS business, Oracle had more new SaaS business than Salesforce did, but Salesforce still has overall more SaaS business still. At the moment, whether that changes or not, uh, so their total cloud revenues were up forty percent. That's uh, year over year, and their cloud SaaS and past revenue together, the growth rate accelerated sixty one percent. So twenty percent on pass? <clears throat> no, more than that. I, I don't know how. To, yeah, I don't know. I pull these numbers from different places. So I don't know if different analysts used different math. Mm. They're growing fast, you know, whether it's 40 or 60%, I'm not sure. It depends on how you slice and dice, I guess. Um, it's funny though, I, I saw that, so they're, <laughs> one thing they're doing in order to get people to switch to cloud, because you know, all these companies have shady tactics. I mean, Salesforce does, you know, what, get, get people to renew and renew mm. early and, Renew for more, a higher number of years, and all that kind of stuff. Because one thing Salesforce done, done I've this is a rumor, and people tell me is that Salesforce says, "Listen, every time you renew, we're going to raise you by X percent, ten percent. So you're best off not renewing very often, which means you should probably do a three year contract instead of a one year contract." Yeah, 
Um, but one thing that Oracle's done that people have dubbed it the audit bargain and cloud, meaning they, you know, a big company that has a lot of Oracle out, they come in because it's part of the agreement. You have to let them in. They audit your usage of Oracle. Mm. They come up, they tell you how much, how much, um, what's the, what would be the word? Like unlicensed ways you're using Oracle. And so they tell you, okay, well, you're, here's the way you're supposed to be using Oracle, but it turns out you've, you know, you're using it in these other ways or you're, you know, using it on more CPUs or whatever than you're, than what you're licensed for. And here's that gap. So here's what you owe us, but we'll give you a deal if you start moving some of that stuff to the cloud. So it's the audit, interesting audit bargain both cloud. Microsoft and Oracle have that kind of pool of customers that they can transition. Yeah. And it's how much coercion do you want to use to get them to transition? Right. Well, I mean, it might not all be a coercion. I mean, it could just be simple. Get on the cloud and stop managing this yourself. It's, I think the idea, though, is stop that, hosting your own is that Oracle has gotten far, far more aggressive than they have in the past with their auditing because yeah. they want to use that as a... Hey, if their carrot is not tasty, then they'll start using that stick. <laughs> no, I mean, it's a tactic I've seen used before. It's like, it's like the, the tollway here. If, if you don't have a toll tag, you'll oh, get a... Oh, gosh. They'll like want to charge you like, what, 100 200 bucks or something, but they're like, eh, but if you buy a toll tag and hook up your account, we'll waive this. Well, that, and they make sure that the traffic lots on the service roads are timed very poorly. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, Amazon has this database migration service that was in beta. That's officially out of beta now, and that helps people migrate off of Oracle. To? They've, they've transferred over a thousand... Um, I think to their, they have this, I can't remember what they call it now, but they have their own, they forked MySQL and they have their own forked version of MySQL that supposedly they can migrate hmm. basically, I don't want to say any Oracle database, but probably many of them. And then also, did you see that Microsoft is now offering free SQL Server license to Oracle customers? So they're just getting bombarded, man. Wow. And they're, they're, their software license revenues are that's what's slipping. They're luckily their crowd is crowd. Their cloud is growing really quickly. Microsoft or Oracle? Oracle. Okay. Because their database license subscription revenue seems to be uh, on the wane. So people are either moving onto the cloud and so there's less people hosting Oracle databases or cloud companies are choosing alternatives to Oracle for their back end. I don't think they care about that cloud. You mean like kind of startup-y cloud? I mean, you know, Oracle makes probably 90% of their money from big established companies that have been running Oracle for years and that are essentially stuck on it. But Amazon's, you know, obviously trying to make that as pleasant experience as possible to attempt to migrate off off of Oracle. So it will be interesting. They say um, they've got you know, this biggest portfolio of cloud and software as a service products. They They're probably big, do. Man. I mean, they got a, they have a lot of they got a lot of money to spend on this. You're gonna not gonna go down. I buy a into the, the uh, to their whole transitioning everything to cloud. I wonder if there's another podcast out there focused on Oracle that's saying that's BS. They just they just tacked on this this and this <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Like the, the flip side to yeah, us. Exactly. <laughs> they didn't re-architect That's anything. That's just hype. It's just a you new just UI. Said that. Yeah. It's just a new UI on it, damn it. <laughs> um, 
they ha- they also I think this is interesting because if you I, I I got an Oracle's website I'm like I don't know how to do anything here. I mean, yeah, if you want to. Get oh, some- Oracle's website's horrible. Yeah, you geez. can't find or see anything. And this is what and I don't they incorporated the Java stuff into it, which is the only reason I ever go there anymore. Right. That's why and I that's even it. painful. Speaking of Java, oh my gosh, I'm so happy right now. Why? Because I'm doing, I'm working on a Java project, so I'm using Java and I'm using IntelliJ and I'm I'm mm. on Java eight and Groovy and oh, it's just it's so nice. I'm, I'm back to modern software development. What's your ID? IntelliJ. Oh, okay. did you say that? Did I, I miss think that? So. I don't think you did. Using Gradle as my build system is just it's so nice. It works so well. It's so elegant, and I have access to the the whole world of the Java ecosystem, and not you know just the some of the best open source libraries and everything out there. You're getting spoiled. I know. You're not going to want to come so back. So nice. <laughs> um, no, but, but it or- is a Salesforce integration, right? It is, but I, the, only, the only way I'm touching Salesforce is through the SOAP API, which is probably the best thing Salesforce ever did. That's how we started. Yeah. There was no Apex. There was nothing. We just... No, but boy, I'd could, open up my, my could, Visual you could, Studio. You'd open up your whatever Java ID you're using at the time. You and, could hack the crap out of Salesforce with some JavaScript, though, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or they shut that down. Yeah. You had to switch to Grease Monkey scripts. Um, no, so Oracle has this thing called, they, they're calling Oracle Accelerated Buying Experience. And you're going to be able to go to Oracle's website and just sign up with a credit card, which is one of my tests of, is it cloud? Can I get on and buy it with a credit card without talking to a salesperson? And now the answer is yes. With Oracle, you can. No, Benioff says cloud is deferred revenue. Yeah. <laughs> You're wrong, Jeremy. Oh, that requires a... <laughs> <laughs> really? We boiled down the cloud to how you pay for it? I know. Well, no, that's, I think that's an important part of cloud. Like that, that's, that's the benefit of the fact that it's immediately in, it's like scalable and, and virtual. Now, yeah, that says cloud. You, know, to you me, don't but, you don't have the NetSuite, whether it's a credit card or it's some PO you process or you don't whatever. have a NetSuite engine in the background. You know, quickly trying to create an Oracle database for you, and when, and when you sign up, yeah, you know, <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> okay, my last. But thing. who says you put your credit card in? It's 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 only provisioned. There there are plenty of things services I sign up for, and it takes an hour or sometimes the next day I get provisioned. You know, okay, so. If, even even Azure, Azure. When I signed up for Azure, there were like a few things that took a while to get provisioned. Well, it's, it's, if it's automated, then that's that's fine. I mean, not things aren't instant. Not not everything's instant. I mean, if you want to boot up a big server, those things just take a few minutes to boot up. And if especially if it's you know, think about it. When you sign up in Amazon, maybe it's copying the the because you, you pick an image like which which disk image do you want? Right, it depends on what OS and all these other things. Like it's got to copy that image over the network. You know, and then probably provision some things. It's all automated. As long as it's automated, I think I'm fine. I think I would still consider that cloud. But if there is someone that's walking over to a server and sitting under the console and doing, you know, Oracle, whatever the commands are to create a new database <laughs> and everything, then that is not cloud. <laughs> all right, my last thing, big objects. Have you heard of this? Salesforce big objects. Uh, no, I haven't. It, but big I, th- objects I neither. Sounds it was familiar. a summer 15 thing. I don't know how I missed this. Keep all your customer data with big objects. It was in Pilot. I don't know if it's a, a GA now or what. But you can process like what they call big objects using SQL, Bulk, REST, SOAP, um, data pipelines. Um, so all, all the normal tools. And you can have... What, no, they're not showing me the numbers here. I need to find an article. But basically, um, you can. it's a way to get hundreds of millions, supposedly, hundreds of millions of records in Salesforce in Salesforce and still access it 
using all the normal tools. So is it not sitting in Oracle? Is it like in a different it's type gotta of database? Be some, it's got to be some kind of, yeah, like some kind of data store that's specially designed for But it's a for, data store? It's not, it's, not, is it, it's not like showing up in your Salesforce UI reporting or anything, right? It's just a data store? No, it isn't. It looks like it's like a custom object. Um, I wonder if it's using the... Hmm. I'm looking for a news. I mean, I'm looking for some news on this. Um, I mean, I found there the Salesforce release note on it. Okay, what does it say? That's what I'm reading. It just says you can... Uh, it, Says what you said. You might have been reading the same thing. You can process big objects with SQL, bulk, REST, and SOAP, data pipelines, uh, customer 360 store point of sale data, orders and line items, guest relationship data, some kind of data archive orchestration uh, for FINRA. You can compliance. use lookup on, lookups on them. You can do jo- you know, email join for customer interaction history segmentation and. Hmm. After you create them, big objects are read-only. And you can add fields, but you can't change or remove fields. Once I mean, this is defined, this is, you can populate big objects via the bulk APR, blah, 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 but you can't, they're read-only. So yeah, it's just a data store. Yeah. I mean, it's accessible, but... No list views. I don't think you can relate to it or anything. I think it's just a way to... No transactions. Uh, no inserting via Apex. So, it, it, you know... There's it, your use case has to be uh, one that fits this model. That's interesting. That's I'm gonna keep that in my uh, in my quiver. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it was implemented to solve a very specific need from a customer, and now they're kind of making it a pilot or releasing it. I want. I wonder how much that costs. How does that affect your storage costs? Hmm. I don't know. It's a different, it's a completely different cost model. I'm betting it's a different so database. It doesn't, and it doesn't affect your, obviously it doesn't affect your storage limits the way that <laughs> if it was like a normal full fledged custom like object. I think it's backing off of it's got, Wave it's, yeah, or something. It's, I don't think it's, I don't think it's Oracle. It's, it's they, got, yeah. Or yeah, or maybe it's, you know, who knows, Mongo or something. I have no idea. There's no transaction, so it very well could be something like Mongo because I don't think, <laughs> if you don't care about your data integrity, you just you use one of those. <laughs> it'll be consistent eventually don't worry about it <laughs> I, I'm betting it's just a piggyback off of the wave stuff the wave architecture yeah, they could built be. they're like hey we hired this guy uh, and he built you know to do this wave stuff and he built it and he's just been sitting back there what, can we give him something to do <laughs> I don't know I, I doubt there's a problem at Salesforce <laughs> no, like so. <laughs> no. just the guy sitting back in the corner yeah I doubt there's anyone just sitting around going huh, I could use something Maybe he's been spending too much time in the mindfulness area. I was going to say, maybe he's just in his <laughs> mindful space. <laughs> All right, John. Um, any people to thank this week? Um, uh, did we have any questions? Someone asked you a question about Salesforce price licensing. Adam, Adam Olshanky did. Olshanky. Well, yeah, we, thought, we mentioned him last week. Uh, so this week, and some of these are really But I mean, old. did you answer that question? What was the question? Uh, what do you believe a license to be worth? And if you were Salesforce, what would you price licensing at? Yeah. Did you see my answer? No. Did you answer? Yeah. Oh. Um, let's see. I was out. And so I just saw the question and I was just compiling. 
So my answer was, I think a license is worth what people are willing to pay for it. I'd charge as much as the market would bear. Um, and then he talks about that's how... kind of a PC way of getting out of answering a question. No, that's... I mean, I believe in... I'm very pro-free market. I think they should charge what they can charge. And it's unethical to charge less. Yeah, but you said a lot I'm, without and saying I don't anything. Say, I don't say Salesforce is expensive. I mean, it is what... If people are paying for it, then... It is expensive. More, are you saying it's more expensive than what it should be? Because if it was, then people wouldn't buy it, right? I it's, think that the public I mean, perception is that understanding it's expensive. supply and demand. Well, you had curves. a story of, of Salesforce being pigs because they were so expensive. Oh, those weren't my words. That was, I, I, yeah. I said you had a story. Oh, I was a potential client who <coughs> said that Benioff was a pig because of how expensive Salesforce is. So the perception is out there that it's, yeah. it's expensive. No, there's, there's, that perception is out there. I'm just saying I wasn't promoting or endorsing that that particular perception. Um, and then, uh, they, okay, so you mentioned prices getting expensive. We're just curious what I'd be willing to pay. Uh, I, whether or not they're expensive, prices are going up. We know they're going up. Yeah. Um, and I'm not a customer, so it doesn't matter what I'd pay. Right? But if you're in a position, then you had to. If it was worth it, I would buy it. Yeah, if I, if I, if I had that need... And I, you know, I'd evaluate my options. And if I picked Salesforce and paid the money for it, then that means that I'm getting, I'm getting value for value out of that. I'm getting, I think it's worth it. If there was something better that was cheaper or as good that was cheaper, I probably would go with that. Yeah, but I think, I think it's, it's a tougher answer than that because you're, you're, I think people are coming from the perspective of other software applications that are maybe 10, 15, 20, $25 a month per user. And then you go to Salesforce and yes, you're getting a lot more for it, but now we're talking $200, $300 per user. Yeah. And that's a, that's a, that's a big difference. People see that and they, you know, that, I mean, it's up to Salesforce to kind of impart, what's the word? Be able to express, be able to demonstrate their value for that, for that price. Yeah. Um, okay. So, I mean, yeah, that's that's more of a question. It's part of the conversation. I don't know. What else do I have to say about it? What's your specific question? I, th- I think they're expensive. Salesforce is expensive? I think so. I mean, it's not, a, it's not a cheap solution. It's probably 10 times more expensive than some entry-level CRM, or if you've got a... I, I mean, for, for the main reason that if you, if you really want to use Salesforce for what it's good at, you have to be on enterprise and up in terms of features. Well, okay. But that's, for, that's for, for, for those, okay, so if, if your use case is then good for Salesforce, then is, is it still expensive or does that, does that make sense? Is that a good value exchange, what you're getting for it? Well, that's a case-by-case basis. Yeah, and but... it, well, and if people didn't think it was worth it, they wouldn't buy it. That's why I'm saying if people are willingly buying Salesforce at the price they pay for it, then that, by definition, it's worth it. I mean, their their revenue is growing thirty, you know, twenty five percent a year. Now, if it stopped growing, or if they were you know losing business, or if it just wasn't worth it, or if if some company, if Oracle's, you know, producing a better product that's a cheaper price, and people are going towards that, then then comparatively they'd be expensive. And if Salesforce can't sell as much of it as they want, then maybe if they lowered their price, they'd sell more. It's again, it's, it goes back to the supply and demand curve. Yeah, but it could also be an indicator on the model the business model itself, whether or not it's sustainable. I mean, if you have to, if you have to, 
if if to build a make your business model work, you have to charge a thousand dollars a user, and no one's going to pay that. Well, Salesforce is what fifteen hundred dollars a user a year, right? Basically, is it? Yeah, fifteen hundred per user per year per year. Just saying. Yeah, that seems I mean, expensive to me. I don't know, yeah, I guess. I mean, you would think that a cloud, multi-tenant, all the things that that we talk about that supposed to give you that kind of economy of scale where you're not seeing it you're just seeing prices go up i mean th- keep in mind though salesforce is in san francisco i mean a, you know a renting an apartment for three days cost 1500 bucks <laughs> <laughs> so we're paying california prices <laughs> partly because of salesforce and not you know the thousands of people that they've crammed into it mm. in, in san francisco uh okay so i do have some people to thank and this some of these kind of go back um, but you probably know who you are uh, and why we're mentioning. Uh, so Nana Greg, John Graff, Jitendra Zah, Mike Erholt, Jillian Medill, Francis Pindar. Some cool peeps. Yeah. Any uh, parting thoughts? You got more topics? No, I'm done. I'm, done I'm tired. Too. I'm tired. My head still hurts. Mainly because I've been talking to you for about an hour and a half. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> and to that, I say, good day, sir. Good day, sir. It just happens automatically. It's from the cloud. Beware of the false cloud. Forget the overused term of cloud.